Hello everybody, uh, I'm Kia Ora. Today we will introduce an um, online repository of the Emerging Vehicle Technology Trials uh, conducted by Austroads members and private industry around Australia and New Zealand to share some of their groundbreaking work um, and lessons learned. We have more than 300 people registered for today's session. Uh, welcome to you all and thanks for joining us. My name is Ekaterina, I'm a Communications Officer at Austroads, and I will be moderating today's session together with uh, one of our today's presenters, Andrew Somers, uh, TransOptim Specialist Consultant, Future Mobility and ITS. Andrew will moderate the Q&A um, at the end of the webinar. First of all, I would like to acknowledge the Aboriginal, um, uh, the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting today. I pay my respect to eldest past, present and emerging. I also acknowledge the Treaty of Waitani and Maori as the regional people of New Zealand. A little bit about Austroads. Uh, we are the collective of Australasian transport and traffic agencies, and our focus is to support our member organizations to deliver an improved road transport network. Uh, the projects that we are focusing on today were delivered under the Future Vehicles and Technology Program, um, which was previously managed by John Wall and is now managed by uh, Vibeke Matthews. So a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, our presenters will speak for 40 minutes and then we will have a Q&A session for 15 minutes. The slides today's presentation is based on can be downloaded from the handout section um, of your sidebar, which you will find on the right-hand side of your screen. There's also a question section there, so please use it to send us your questions for the Q&A at any time during the webinar. If your question relates to any particular slide, please include the slide number um, in your message to help us answer your question as best as we can. Um, you can also use that same questions box to let us know if you have any technical problems. But just a quick tip, if you lose sound or your picture freezes, the issue is most likely with your connection. So closing your browser and rejoining the session um, using your registration link usually helps. This session is being recorded and we will let you know if um, when the recording is available on our website. If you listen to podcasts, uh, you can also find Ostrots, um in your podcast app. Um, so today's presenters are Andrew Somers, uh, TransOptim Specialist Consultant, Future Mobility and ITS, um, Nicholas Brook, Principal Engineer from the Queensland Department of Transport and Main Roads, and James Su, uh, Manager Safe, uh, Safer Vehicles and Future Vehicle Technology from the Department of Transport Victoria. So we will first hear from Andrew, who will introduce the project, and then James and Nicholas will share lessons learned from uh, Victoria and Queensland. Welcome to our presenters, and I will now hand over to Andrew. We'll start with an introduction to the project team. Because this was a, a small project in the scheme of Austroids work, it wasn't conducting new research, it was uh, reporting on uh, research that was conducted by others. We had a reasonably streamlined project team set up. So instead of having a project working group, uh, the Austroids task force, the Future Vehicles and Technology Task Force, acted with project group. So I do thank the, uh, the task force members on the screen for their input into the project, um, contributing um, lessons learned, and we're happy to have, very pleased to have two jurisdictions uh, be able to directly contribute to, to today's webinar. Uh, John Wall, as the program manager at the time, was, was very involved, and Vivica Matthews, as the incoming program manager, um, has also been quite heavily involved in, the, in, in bringing this uh, project to completion and, and ensuring that that resource uh, is available for use. So I'll now move on to briefly introducing the repository, um, but because we don't want to spend uh, the entire day uh, just talking about what was there, uh, we'll then very quickly progress into giving a little bit of a, a demonstration tour, uh, followed by um, then uh, hearing directly on lessons learned from two projects. So firstly, what is it we're trying to achieve through this initiative? Um, it was improving knowledge sharing from Australian um, future vehicles and technology trials. So we've seen uh, that there's been a lot of really good trials that have taken place in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, that's fantastic. How do we get that knowledge used by others to, um, to maximum value? And that's really where this project came in. It built upon scoping that was undertaken uh, the year previous. Uh, that included interviews with around about 50 stakeholders, both across Osro's members and across industry, uh, interviews, survey, uh, and then working through a design mock-up 
that's now been implemented uh, into the repository. It's intended that this repository is a tool of ongoing value. Uh, that will require Austroads to have active involvement. Austroads um, will be keen to have additional projects added to the initial set that's on the repository. Um, so if you have something to contribute, please get in touch, particularly with Vivica. And future development of the um, and, and maintenance and support of this repository is going to be informed by usage and feedback. Um, if this is used and people provide feedback, then it's really going to develop and grow. If it's not getting a lot of use, then you know, it, it's hard to, to justify the maintenance required to use it. Um, so I think it's a valuable tool. I hope you agree that it's a valuable tool. If you do agree that it's a valuable tool, please make use of it and provide feedback on what's good and not and needs work to Austroads to ensure that it continues to develop and grow. What did it was it that people wanted to know about these trials? We're pushing, we're getting information out there. What is it people wanted to know? And most people wanted to know a reasonably broad set of information. Uh, key inclusions, lessons learned about, you know, that would inform the conduct of further technology trials, expecting that we're not moving always into deployment, but sometimes the further trials, uh, but also lessons learned to inform the further deployment of technology. They were key inclusions, it's what it says on the tin, a large focus for this repository. There was supporting information that a lot of people wanted, um, numbers of participants involved, numbers of vehicles and units involved, and technical details for those um, vehicles and units and so that's included as well. Where available, where there's benefit of um, technology deployment beyond the trial that, that is included uh, but sometimes the trials weren't looking that far ahead. The one thing that was had interest expressed in it and it wasn't practical to include directly in the repository is access to detailed or raw trial data. Um, what we have done is provide contact details that you can contact project contacts for each of the trials uh, it wasn't practical for Austroids to take on the hosting of large raw data repositories. That comes with a huge set of governance, privacy and, and other arrangements, um, really beyond the scope of, of the lessons learned uh, focus. Through feedback, it was also clear that the potential users wanted structure and searchability in any repository. Uh, the searchability will come in future if the repository grows to the point where that's necessary. In the meantime, we've really used that structure both to assist the future searchability and to provide the ability to find information. So categorization's been used by technology types, automated driving and driver support, connected vehicles, alternative energy. By project stage, because some projects are demonstrational proof of concept, some testing for specific performance, pre-deployment, all the way through to deployment encouragement. This is particularly for roadside charging type of applications. The types of location where testing occurred, we also use um, some standard categories to explain the benefits of a sort by the trial project. Uh, and we don't use categories, but we do use structure also around the objectives of the project, what it sought to achieve, and also the finding of the project, what it actually found. The intention is that this repository complements how people find information. Complement, not necessarily replace. Sometimes it'll be the only place you need to go, but often it won't be. And one of the reasons for this is when we asked how do people find information currently, there really is a broad range of things used and most people use multiple sources. Um, so the repository is intended to be a first place, a starting point. It, it won't necessarily meet your totality of needs, but hopefully it helps you find what it is you need to find um, and find further places to, to find it. Uh, and to that end, we do include a page that links to international resources to help you look beyond Australia and New Zealand. The initial set of projects in the repository really does cover right across Australia and New Zealand, as you can see by this map. It covers across technology types. It covers across project stages. Uh, and in some cases, there's synopses of, of, of similar categories of trials, such as automated shuttles. There's been quite a large number of trials We've drawn all of those together instead of just picking out one or two examples. Um, so a big range of projects right across the country. Um, let's dive in now and have a little bit of a look. Uh, and to that end, I'll bring across onto this screen, hopefully uh, a uh, window of the website. So in the presentation and the slide pack that's available in the sidebar for thought, you can see the link that goes through. It's been live on Austro's website now for, for a month or so. Um, 
I'll quickly run you through a little bit of what's there and then we'll hand over here directly some, some people about lessons learned. So this map page is here. Uh, I do warn that the map itself isn't clickable. It looks like it could be. It's actually more technically challenging than it would seem to make it so. But we do have very clear links on the sidebar here um, that you can click. And um, we'll come back to this link here for information um, beyond uh, Australia and New Zealand. So I'll jump into one of the projects here. If I go in by technology into alternative energy, into this Charge Fox project, that brings up then the project page. So you can see you know, a photo, some standard information, including contact details, in this case, the CEO of Chargebox, those details around what the project was uh, trying, what it included, what it's trying to do. Uh, that's carefully structured information that calls out the project objective. Again, structured information that calls out the project finding. And then a lot of more information available through additional links. This particular project is one that we drew upon the ARENA, the Australian Renewable Energy Agency projects database um, to, to have. Uh, it's something relevant to, to Australia's stakeholders, road and transport agencies. And ARENA is very, very good at ensuring that those lessons learned grabbed from their, their projects as part of their condition of funding. Um, so this is a really good example of lessons learned done well. Um, and I encourage people to look at it if you want to, to have a look at sort of how you can how you can do lessons learned well. I'll jump back out of this project page into the home page and just show you we do have quite an extensive set as well of resources beyond Australia and New Zealand. So some more that are within additional information sources here, including that arena database, international, European Union, Japanese government, United States government, and so forth. So not only is it a repository of lessons learned, it helps to be a gateway to further information. So with that, I'll drop back into the presentation and come across and remind you to send through questions. So please do use the questions function in the sidebar. We will get to questions at the end. If we don't get to them, we'll, we'll follow up. Uh, please, if it's relevant to a slide, include the slide number. Uh, and with that, I'm very pleased to hand over to our, our jurisdictions, Austro's members, to report on actual lessons learned from some of the projects that are covered in the repository. Thanks. Uh, and also, I guess, thanks to the Austro's team uh, for giving me the opportunity today to present uh, in this webinar today. So my name is James Sue. I'm the manager in the Victorian Department of Transport, Safer Vehicles and Future Vehicle Technology team. So in this presentation, I'll be giving uh, a brief overview of the key findings uh, of the three significant trial projects of connected and automated vehicles completed recently by the Victorian Department of Transport. I think Andrew and the team has done a, a really good job having all the information in one spot. And I really hope that this presentation is useful uh, for you as we continue to harness our efforts collectively to spur the development of this technology so we can realise the benefits sooner. The focus of my presentation today will be on the Victorian Connected and Automated Trial Grant Program, which was a $9 million injection from the state government uh, previous road safety strategy towards zero. Uh, the key purpose of this program is to trial new and emerging CAF technologies and uh, to ensure that we are informed and help support Victoria's readiness for automated vehicles to optimize safety benefits uh, and ultimately uh, reducing deaths and serious injuries. And as such, there is a very strong safety focus in these trials. Uh, to understand how CAFs can pr uh, potentially improve on road safety trauma outcomes. Part of the objective is to generate knowledge that will inform us uh, as government on future planning and infrastructure, uh, I guess both physical and digital, and also on road design and also policy development to ensure that these vehicles can be operated safely when they're deployed on our roads. It was also intended that we partnered with industry leaders. And so back in 2018, after a really extensive expression of interest process, uh, we were able to select three projects, uh, which were delivered between two and three years by our partners, OmniAware, Telstra and Lexus Australia, 
and Bosch, all of which are now completed. The first trial I'd like to take you through is the OmniAware project. Uh, this is essentially, uh, the team is essentially a consortium of transport expert organizations, which uh, the uh, Department of Transport has partnered with. And the idea behind this trial is to develop and adapt perception technologies derived from AVs to the roadside use, uh, so that we can predict crashes and near misses in future. A busy intersection uh, in Yarraville was selected in Melbourne and uh, multiple LIDAR sensors, which are essentially uh, 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 laser scanners, uh, and also a set of cameras were installed at the intersection uh, so that we can build a continuous spatial awareness of all the road users, pedestrians, cyclists, uh, cars, buses, and trucks. So in short, it's essentially taking the technology from the smartest vehicles uh, to make the road smarter and improving safety. The key focus is to enable some of these benefits of AV technology to our road users sooner by exploring the application on infrastructure and to be able to detect all the road users in the intersection and provide hazard warnings to connected vehicles via, uh, via CITS. And ultimately, be able to develop and test an intersection black box function uh, for the purpose of road safety analysis. So the trial commenced back in 2018. It was recently completed this year in April. Uh, we have a ton of data collected, over 110 terabytes of data was collected from the intersection, which uh, represents six months, of, of, um, uh, uh, six months period essentially when the equipment was uh, commissioned back in November, 2019. So we really hope to be able to share this data as well to uh, researchers who may find this information useful in developing it further. So following on from some off-road testing, uh, the site in Yarraville became operational in November, 2019. And like I said, the aim here is to detect crashes and near misses in real time and be able to then feed that back uh, to connected vehicles in the future. I'd like to just share some of the insights and level of information the LIDARs uh, can pick up at the intersection. So on this slide here, you can see examples of a, an object model output from the system. And on the left, you can see the four camera views uh, for reference. And the images on the right provide a comparison of the LIDAR detection of a truck and the same truck picked up by the camera. I guess one of the key reasons we're exploring such a technology uh, is the, um, the fact that intersections um, we know uh, do, uh, you know, we see a lot of crashes and lives lost, um, around a third of lives lost and 44% of serious injuries occurred at intersection in Victoria. I have a video that I'd like to just quickly share with you. Bear with me. So in this example, you can see how the raw data from the four LIDARs are merged using object identification and classification processes. Uh, the data from the four LIDARs is processed and then fused in real time to record an accurate position direction, speed, and acceleration of each road user traveling through the intersection. So you can clearly see, uh, you can pick up the, uh, the van that just went past the intersection, the pedestrian as well, uh, the buses and trucks that are uh, around the vicinity. So in terms of the key findings from the trial, um, we, what we have found is that there is a strong performance potential for this technology. In the off-road testing, uh, in particular, the solution demonstrated a really, really strong spatial accuracy to within 10 centimeters, and also high fidelity in the point cloud data uh, that was collected from the LIDAR. Hazard identification was also very rapid 
detected at less than 0.2 of a second. And the uh, set of LIDARs provided a full 360 degree view. And the performance, unlike cameras, was not degraded by envir environmental conditions like uh, wind and rain. There was also a very strong performance in generating and communic uh, communicating the uh, CITS warning functions when paired with the uh, Q3 CITS equipment that was used. The system capability could be leveraged further with the analysis of safety surrogate measures, but additional development in this area is required to, to be able to reflect a high level of performance in the underlying technology. And finally, uh, the census lasted the duration of the trial, but we are ultimately still in development technology. Um, and obviously, these sensors are very expensive for infrastructure deployment at this point in time, but we do expect them to improve over time in the future. The next trial I'd like to touch on is the Telstra and Lexus ACV2 trial. Again, this is on the online repository uh, that Andrew had mentioned earlier. So the project focus um, on having two vehicles, two Lexus RX450H that can communicate directly with each other and also via the network using cellular V2X technology or vehicle to everything technology. The network connection also enable us in the Department of Transport, uh, but also with Telstra and Lexus to feed the information into the vehicles for safety and speed warnings. Uh, the key focus of the project is contribution to the Victorian's knowledge base uh, for connected uh, vehicles and what we as road manager need to do to support them in both the urban and rural areas but also be able to understand the infrastructure requirements, both in the physical and digital aspects. I guess the main motivation behind the project as to why we conducted this is because we have seen a lot of trials occurring with short range communication technology, but nev never has anything been done in Australia uh, to look at trialing cellular network technology for vehicle to communicate to each other and for vehicle to communicate with the infrastructure. Uh, test, um, I guess the other one is to be able to test in a variety of environments and use cases uh, without the use of physical roadside units, uh, but rather relying on the advanced mobile network to connect vehicles directly to one another. And also to be able to connect to our traffic management center um, through the cloud service using C2V2X. Um, I guess the final one is really, this is a really unique collaboration between a major telco a global vehicle manufacturer and also government to be able to work on this together. So the use cases um, that we looked at are listed here, um, essentially the six use cases that were successfully trialed and tested, many of which are the very classic CITS use cases. Uh, the first one is uh, related to electronic emergency brake light use case, which essentially provides warning which are then cascaded back to the vehicles behind to prevent rear-end collisions. The slow and stop vehicle warning use case alerts vehicles on the motorways of upcoming stationary vehicle with, with hazard lights on. And the uh, speed alert use case consumes some of our Vic Roads DOT data uh, via the Telstra network and then sending the speed warning to the dash of the vehicle to warn the driver. The red light violation alert, which I also talk a little bit later, um, it, there's a picture on this slide here, which is uh, tested at the, um, the on-site range, uh, warns the vehicle of uh, moving, um, sorry, warns the vehicle that is moving through the red light while also warning other vehicles in the vicinity if a potential collision is imminent. Again, the, the traffic signal data from Vic Roads is consumed for this use case uh, by the vehicles through the mobile network. And finally, the right turn pedestrian warning alert, which looks at VRU's uh, protection of VRU's, uh, alerts the drivers that a pedestrian are crossing in front of the vehicle. So here are a few pictures of um, some of the use cases that I just talked about. Uh, again, you know, the vehicles are quite equipped with a bunch of hardware and, you know, that includes a lot of the communication hardware. There's also a lot of the integration of the vehicle controls. Um, and you can see in this picture an aftermarket screen uh, to, to provide the warning messages to the driver. 
there is also a high precision GPS fitted to the vehicles and cameras as well to record them. So on the left here, it's a use case on right turn assist where you can see that the vehicle is turning right uh, and there is a pedestrian crossing the road. It will essentially flash out uh, a warning message. Similarly, uh, the on-road testing of red light violation where there is an, uh, a potential uh, T-bone collision that's about to occur. But in this case, the driver uh, was alerted to a vehicle violating a red light. And the final one at the bottom is a curve speed warning, uh, which is essentially uh, pro providing that extra um, alert to the driver uh, a lot sooner before approaching that corner. So some of the key trial learnings uh, from this is that we found that the Telstra mobile network could be used to efficiently deliver CITS messages to vehicles with very, very low latency. Uh, the cellular, cellular network can also distribute infrastructure-related information to vehicles, such as our traffic light timing and speed zones. Um, in terms of, um, I guess, it was also clear that the successful communication between vehicles of different types require commonality of rules and standards and having a harmonized approach nationally will also be a key enabler to the success of this trial going forward. Warnings could be generated early enough as well to be able to prevent many avoidable crashes. Um, and I guess from a road safety perspective, we, we were very, very keen to understand this. Um, but we also ultimately you know, know that the full realization of these benefits will not come until we have a full much larger scale adoption. And finally, the positioning and mapping is also a key factor uh, in the success of CITS because we've seen that you require the precision of the vehicle in terms of its positioning to the lane level accuracy. That, that's the sort of accuracy that we require for some of these critical use cases to function. Uh, the last but not the least, trial that I'd like to quickly touch on is the Bosch Highway Pilot Trial. Uh, this is a truly automated vehicle trial where the team at Bosch uh, have increased the automated driving capability uh, for it to be able to operate on high-speed multi-lane highways. Again, the key motivation for conducting this trial comes back to the road safety challenges that we face, uh, where fatalities on rural country roads are overrepresented. High-speed rural road account for nearly half of all road fatalities in Victoria. A lot of the runoff roads and head-on collisions do account for that. Um, and also, uh, we were kind of motivated to understand how highly capable automated driving technology uh, can help us addressing this problem um, and be able to understand what road infrastructure and maintenance requirements are needed to support these vehicles in the future. So it is a very unique uh, opportunity to be able to partner with a major automotive component supplier. Uh, and we know that Bosch do provide a lot of, um, uh, pro provide a lot of their components to major brands around the world. So the trial just completed back in December, but we had covered over 14,000 uh, kilometers in development and over 2,700 kilometers were conducted in automated mode. Uh, just real quickly, the involvement of Bosch has been long-standing with the Victorian government, uh, where back in 2016, we trialled a low-speed semi-urban environment. Um, and since then, the Bosch team has really increased the level of operational uh, design domain to the vehicle um, and be able to build on that to allow that to operate in higher-speed urban motorways and now to high-speed rural roads. Even though the vehicle has been uh, based off a donor Tesla Model S, the vehicle is essentially has been upgraded, uh, overhauled, rebuilt completely from a system perspective, as well as a sensor perspective. And it's actually quite re remarkable uh, to be able to experience the vehicle, perceive how, how it perceives the environment and also how it perceives other road users and making its decision uh, during those uh, driving maneuvers, just like a human.
Um, there are a set of LIDARs that were refitted, um, rebuilt to this vehicle, long-range, mid-range radars, camera uh, added, as well as uh, driver monitoring system, additional connectivity, and a very, very high performance computing that was added to the vehicle. So the key findings from the Bosch um, is, I guess that's, that's of interest to us. Um, you can see here that you, we obviously acknowledge that there is a need for strong and con uh, continued collaboration uh, between industry and government agencies uh, in order to facilitate the AV technology in Australia going forward, uh, because the efforts will be needed from both sides. High definition mapping is also a critical component for AV trials. Uh, currently, unfortunately, there isn't a standard for high D, sorry, for high definition maps um, or readily available high definition maps for Victorian roads. So a lot of these have to be mapped uh, by Bosch for this trial. The challenges we also found is that there isn't any image library representative of the Australian road environment. Uh, which is suitable for machine learning purposes. So again, there is, uh, I guess, more work that needs to be done in the space at the national level for us to foster the future development in this area. Uh, regional roads also have a lot of, um, have very little roadside features for the, the, the automated system, uh, automated driving system to be able to detect, which is so important for it to um, enable uh, the vehicle to be able to localize itself accurately. So again, that, that was a key challenge. But what we have found is by overcoming that through radar landmark-based localization, we were able to overcome some of that um, because um, we've seen that the additional level of fidelity that's coming from both camera-based as well as radar-based can help um, provide that level of information to localize the vehicle. A couple of uh, pictures as well on this slide, which highlight some of the challenges in our road infrastructure that needs to be considered. Um, we, we, I haven't had a chance to actually put all the learnings, but these are just three examples. Uh, the first one here is related to audio, uh, audio tactile line markers uh, with the faded or no painted line markings on them. Um, that was particularly challenging. There is also the next picture here, which is uh, an all line marking on the road which is, um, you can maybe just see it, which is the blue uh, line that's on the picture and also additional reflection, which is the last picture that's coming from uh, the road surface and patchwork um, that could be challenging for AVs. And finally, I just um, wanted to just mention about the, the importance for us to establish a robust regulatory framework uh, in terms of signaling to the community that AVs are being trialed in a safe and managed manner. So back in 2006, uh, sorry, 2017, the legislation to trial highly automated vehicles was successfully passed in Victorian government. Uh, we're now running the automated driving system permit scheme, uh, which is uh, required for all vehicles operating in a test uh, R&D sort of a development uh, that has capability of SE automation level three and above. And as such, Bosch was the first recipient of the ADS permit. And that process has also helped us in providing additional lessons learned through the scheme. Um, and hopefully this regulatory approach continue to allow vehicles and system manufacturers um, to bring innovation uh, to the market and trial and encourage uh, the market to test ideas without compromising safety. So that formally concludes um, my presentation. Um, and I'm happy to take questions later in the webinar and for you to reach out to me if you have any questions that I haven't been able to answer today. Uh, thank you again for your time. I will now pass it on to Nicholas, who will speak about the trials that he and his team has been working on in Queensland. Thanks, James. Um, I'll do the same check. Can everybody see, can yes. you see my screen? Yeah. yeah, great. Fantastic. Thank you very much. So um, to reiterate, I guess a lot of the points that James and Andrew have already touched on are what I'll be covering off, uh, really focus on the lessons learned from the pilots we've done today. And 
I think one of the points that you'll probably feel nailed home is the collaboration with industry and other jurisdictions that I think as James and both Andrew touched on is the way we move forward in this industry because I guess working in these projects in isolation is well and good. We're all building toward the same objective, but when we start working together and sharing our lessons and our data, that's when we really get the big steps. So <clears throat> I'm Nicholas Brook, Principal Engineer, and I've been on the Cooperative and Automated Vehicle Initiative for about six years now. Um, my project has mostly been focused on the Ipswich Connected Vehicle Pilot, um, but I'll also be touching on today the Cooperative Highly Automated Driverless Pilot, which is uh, normally run by Amit Trevetti, but today I'm presenting on both of our behalfs. Uh, if there's any questions on that, I'll probably take them on notice, uh, just so I don't do a disservice. All right, let's see if I can get this video. Doesn't look like it's playing for me, but if any of you have seen a TMR presentation before, you would have seen this one. It runs through a lot of facts about transport and main roads. Um, I do like to summarise at the end that what I pull from this is that whilst it is we look after a lot of infrastructure and a lot of roads, a lot of different, uh, I guess, important parts of the network, the most critical part is people. Every step of this has people in it. And for us, it's about saving people's lives. And that's where we see this CAV journey heading toward, is that zero deaths and serious injuries on Queensland roads. And I think you can take that a step broader because I think all states are building toward that. So for Australia and New Zealand. Um, our initiative had four core objectives, which is to validate the safety benefits of the different technologies, demonstrate those technologies to the public so that they can get a feel and sense for how they possibly will be interacting with them in their daily lives in the future. Um, grow our own internal readiness so that when this stuff is ready to roll out, we're there and our technical capability is there so we can make the most of it. And I think the big one that today really links in with is encouraging those partnerships and building that capability within industry and across all the different road authorities. So starting off on the Ipswich Connected Vehicle Pilot, um, this is a bit of background. Some of you might have already heard this. Um, Ipswich is about 60 kilometres west of Brisbane and it has a quite a good grid-like um, road structure there as you can see in the map which made it a perfect spot for us to try our ITS G5 technology. So we retrofitted 29 intersections that were able to pull in the signal colours and we were able to upload maps to them which were able to send out to the vehicles travelling through to trigger two different traffic light use cases. And then we also went with a hybrid communication model where we're able to use cellular technology, um, again, over the Telstra network um, to trigger four different cloud-based safety use cases. So we completed all that technical work, but the really critical part was it was a large-scale public participation uh, trial, which included 350 public participants who brought their cars in and got retrofitted with the equipment and then actually drove around for nine months and they're it's actually in the last two months now. So we're going to have almost 12 months of data from 350 people um, having driven around um, and we've been collecting all that back at our central station and then we can do some safety analysis on it. Uh, this is a quick summary of the use cases. Um, the bottom, uh, the far left ones are the two intersection ones. So we've got an advanced red light warning and a turning warning for pedestrian protection. And then the other four go through the cloud, which is the road hazard, which we get from our QRD traffic, uh, back of queue, which is from um, streams queue detection, in vehicle speed, so we create our own speed network, including um, school zones and VSL speeds, and roadworks warning, which from early survey responses seems to be a fan favourite from the public, is that extra level of detail about what's happening in the roadwork, so when speed drops happen and when you're still over the speed limit. So this is a high level view of the architecture. We have much more detailed ones, but for this audience, I thought it was a good way to summarize not only how the system was operating in the hybrid comms model, but also the partners and vendors that we're using through the process. So starting with the roadside station at the top developed by Catch, we broadcast the uh, over 5.9, the signal information, then the vehicle um, receives it and can do its warnings. And then on the far left, you've got this central station, which we developed um, in-house with Transmax, WSP, and it's built on AWS. And then Telstra's there to support the cellular communications, 
um, on both sides from the central to the vehicle and central back to roadside. So that facilitated message broadcasts on a wider scale, given some of the semi-urban and rural areas we were covering, and also for data logging back so we could conduct that safety analysis without having to bring the participants in or do any sort of physical interaction with them. They could just sort of forget that the device is there other than the warnings and not have to interact with us whilst we were still able to collect the data. Um, in the core of all of that is this security system, which we use a vendor's ISS for, and that's all about um, making sure that any of the messages in this process are tr trusted, um, in that they're, um, they're available, they've got integrity, and they're confidential. So that way, um, there's no one else getting their data and they can use it in any sort of malicious way. Uh, speaking of data, this is a summary of how many different warning types we've had. As you can see, the most frequent warning is up to 50,000, uh, down to some that are a bit less common, like the road hazard, because it's just the, you need a confluence of events where somebody has to be driving through where an incident has occurred, whilst also meeting the right conditions. So there just wasn't that many times that actually happened. And also they're not reported all that often, not every incident on the network's reported. Um, over 50,000 hours of driving, and over 90,000 participant, individual participant trips. So that gives an, an idea of how broad and large scale the trial was. So why do we go with the central station? As I touched on, we wanted to be able to get that data back. Um, we also want to be able to do over the air updates if we wanted to change the software or change the configuration of any of the devices. Um, and it also allowed us to get those messages out to those rural areas. Um, most of the area out there had reasonable cellular coverage. So as long as you're in the right sort of cellular areas, you could get a message and then be able to allow that vehicle to react when it got to the exact point where it was relevant. So that was, we thought was really quite critical um, for us to develop early. Um, this is a high level structure of it. So as part of the central facility, as we call it, it has the station part, which is uh, the sending and receiving of messages. It also has a monitoring and reporting service, which allowed us to do daily checks and make sure that the whole system was operating as expected and that the participants were getting a good outcome. Um, and then we've got a broker, which then that's where the actual messages go in and out of using MQTT. So I think that um, the central station, I think is a really critical backbone for what our trial was, but also for other trials going on. So this is where that collaboration starts to happen. We've um, already extended the area that that central station's range covers all the way up to Cairns for some future trials we're doing. But we've also allowed it to be operational in New South Wales, um, in South Australia, so that CODA could do some of their testing. And also in Victoria, as part of the recent, um, you might have seen the Ames trial release with uh, Lexus. So that's still using that same central facility that we provided to be able to get their messages down there and also to send things like the map message. So I think that's quite critical. Um, it might be a first step towards some view of a national broker where these messages can get to any one part of the uh, cooperative's ecosystem and also some way for centre-to-centre -center sort of operations. So without Jummy Gun, that's some of the stuff we've learnt where the value comes from a central facility. Um, part of the central facility is that we had to do geo-messaging. So this is one of our first critical learnings we had was that the message amounts that we were trying to send especially all of the speed messages was too large for just sending to every car. So what we did, we did, took this geo-messaging sort of tile philosophy where you broke the car, located itself and said, okay, I'm in Australia. Next step, I'm in Queensland. And then it breaks down to the actual area and it selects what tile it's in. So it only asks for the messages in that tile. And then if it gets close enough to another tile, as you can see, it's tra traversing across there it starts to get those early. So as soon as it crosses the tile, it's operational still. And then it will keep moving across each tile it moves through to. Um, I already touched on how critical security was. Um, i reiterate there. So um, some lessons from Go code development. So as, as you would have seen, we had uh, many, many vendors and many, many partners in there. Um, and we had to make sure that multiple of these new emerging systems were actually interoperable. Uh, for the pilot because we need to make sure the participants had a good experience uh, so and also so that the data came back was actually valid to be used in proper um, ethically checked studies. So the ways we made this work um, with such a diverse team was making sure we could be co-located wherever possible 
that really allowed us to work agilely. So the, if a roadside vendor was having an issue and the vehicle vendor were having an issue, we could actually all just sit together and come to a conclusion. And that was really important. An example of that was where the standards were still being harmonized and they versioned up and there was one field that changed and that all of a sudden the messages weren't working was because one vendor had uh, gone to the next version, one hadn't. So we got together, had an agreement, changed it and got it working. Along with the importance of the co-location was the testing strategy and making sure we had multiple steps. And I think James touched on this for the Bosch project as well. So we started on sort of a safe approach, which was using bench testing. Then we moved to our off-road off facility where we could actually properly drive at high speeds, but know that we wouldn't interact with other uh, people on the road. Then finally on-road with ourselves where we could trust that we knew what we were expecting. We weren't going to do anything dangerous. Then finally getting it out to a participant. Um, continuous integration, continually improving, continually delivering, um, and wherever possible, automating the documentation, the build and the delivery. And this whole thing, I guess, is building toward that sharing across jurisdictions, industry and academia. I think it was really important that our director and our sponsor or our board chair at the time, Dennis Walsh and Miranda Blog, they really set a strong culture of collaboration and innovation from the get-go and particularly about learning for lessons from other jurisdictions and also sharing those lessons out. So in the early days, we reached out to most of the other states and got a good feeling from how they were operating their trials and took some lessons from that to help us improve. And what we hope to do is to pay that forward and give that to the next groups, trying their working toward their trials. And of course, the collaboration was critical. So this slide is normally right at the start, but I thought here it really fit in um, to summarise Ipswich Connected Vehicle Pilot wouldn't have been possible without this raft of um, partners and vendors uh, from academia and industry um, and other government agencies. It really brought it all together to allow this pilot to be conducted. Um, some, I mentioned a few times how large a trial was. So we think that the large trials like this are really important, especially if you want to get that statistically relevant data. Um, but you've got to make sure you're sufficient um, development time for R&D and especially in these emerging technology fields, uh, making sure that we have as much configurability as you want in the early stages so that as you get to the point where you try things, you can feel it in the real world and go, actually, that's not quite right for a real world environment. Whilst it looked good on paper, we want to tweak these values to make the, the participant experience better. Um, it allowed us then to have really good quality data, which then allowed us to produced good visualizations and dashboards to monitor and track the project successes. Uh, testing is critical and making sure we understand what the end user is trying to experience so that we can know what we're building toward. Um, once again, collaboration. So James and I have had this bit of a, oh, you're wearing the same shirt I am moment. Um, we obviously both have worked with Lexus at different stages. Um, we use effectively the same use cases throughout and they also accept the main difference I think between our two was that uh, when they came up to Queensland and worked with us, we were using the ITS G5 as the primary communication and also the hybrid cellular versus the CV2X as James mentioned. So in their own right, whilst it looked like we we're doing the same thing, we still were able to uh, be different enough that it still adds value to industry. We weren't just doubling up on work, um, but I guess this uh, repository will help that further, making sure that we're always building on top of each other's work, not building uh, concurrently. Um, and lessons toward development deployment. So making sure that we can meet what the standards are asking for and what the industry is expecting for things like the reliability, the latency and the accuracy, that's all critical so that industry actually buy into it and actually start to bring their equipment like the Polo, uh, the VW Polo or Golf that has connected technology in Europe making sure that they go, oh, Australia is right for this, let's bring that across, rather than us just getting a, a, a not connected vehicle because they don't think that our industry, our, uh, I guess, capabilities there yet. Um, this is just a highlight of how we're doing our daily operation and maintenance, which is another critical output of all this, is how do you operate and maintain this once it is actually deployed? Okay, um, I'll quickly touch on the CHAD project. So the CHAD pilot, there are two stages. There was Zoe 1, which is all about the recording and sensing um, and basically put, building up this pool of data so that when Zoe 2 
which is the properly automated one that was built in France with Vetacom, um, with level four automation, had some uh, prior knowledge of the road network and some HD maps to work with. Um, they've done a variety of work packages, um, analyzing driver handover, interacting with other road users, the physical infrastructure needs, um, looking into the government's role in HD maps, and also the interaction with the CITS environment. I think it's quite critical that this is a, is a cooperative vehicle as well, so it does receive those signal messages and can actual, actually react on those. Um, the driver handover, I've actually been in an experience where we got to sit in the driver's seat and use my phone, watch some uh, cricket or basketball whilst the car was there, and then it prompts you to take over. So they were there, they were analysing to see how was the driver's experience and how was the handover, and were you able to take uh, get your attention back on the road quick enough so I think all of these are going to lead to some really good um, outcomes. I think the HD maps one's already published. Um, and so uh, Alex provided a few lessons here. He says that um, similar to James, the AV trial permit systems and having a template so that you can uh, get more people trialing on the roads is quite critical and important. Um, better understanding the technology is um, always an important one that making sure that we have realistic expectations of AV development within the broader industry and the potential deployments for those. Uh, building, a, I guess, a collaborative knowledge base um, with meaningful contributions will help across the, uh, the countries, us and New Zealand, um, and making sure we can uh, identify those gaps and prioritise our efforts. I don't think I've got time to I'll play. I've got a video here. I won't have time to play that and don't trust it'll work. Um, we touched on the cooperative side of the CHAD pilot, but these are the two um, use cases that they've already proven with the Zoe 2. So they've had one where they basically approach an intersection and they got the spat and map messages which were telling it that there was a pedestrian on the crossing and they'd actually use sight boards to close off the vehicle's sensors. So it couldn't actually use its sensors to go, there's a vehicle there. So it actually used the spat and map message in a cooperative sense to actually recognize a, a pedestrian was crossing and slowed up and stopped before taking that intersection and making sure it was clear. And the second one was using a denim message of roadworks to actually get the Chad vehicle to change lanes. So as it approached, it got onto the denim trace and the denim was suggesting that that lane was closed, but the one on the right was open. So the vehicle safely made a maneuver to the right. And that included uh, finding gaps in traffic on the right-hand side. So they're quite both very impressive, I think. And um, I imagine they'll both be reported on soon enough to be shared. Um, outside of that, I just touch on that for us, that was the two parts to now, but there is, future work going on that we look to report on the previous work into the repository and then future work as we go as well. So if some of our future work includes extending our trial set of infrastructure and cloud um, up the Bruce Highway and out the Warrego. So what we can see there is a sort of the start of a connected vehicle corridor um, and that's a federally funded project. So we're working um, toward that over the next 12 months. So hopefully between Cool and Gatter and Cairns we'll have a selection of location with roadside equipment so that we can uh, use those warnings and show industry here's a big stretch of Australia that's ready to start having connected vehicles and likewise with the cloud experience as well. Um, thank you very much and I look forward to any questions you have. Okay, fantastic. Uh, thank you for those presentations, uh, James and uh, Nick and um, Nick, if you can pop back on uh, camera as well, because we will have uh, we've got questions coming through. Uh, we'll get underway. We might continue with questions a few minutes afterwards for people who can stay up to about five past. Um, I'll start with a couple of questions that came through that relate to the repository, and then we've had quite a few questions that relate to the really interesting lessons learned on those trial projects. Uh, first question was how many trials have been included um, or inclusive for uh, people with a disability, and can those be filtered? Uh, and the answer is, look, we certainly agree it's a valid objective for um, vehicle technology trials. Um, and there have been trials around the world that are focused on uh, uh, people with a disability or some form of mobility impairment. And the repository does include a benefit type of improving social outcomes, which really focuses on this area. Um, that would provide future searchability. Uh, there's no search function yet, but the categorization's there to protect that. 
I don't think it's been a primary focus for any of the trials we included in the first batch in the repository, but we are very happy to add further projects and uh, I'd encourage you to contact Ostroza and Dibica uh, if you do have projects to add. Uh, the second question then is Ostroza going to um, uh, develop or provide guidelines on how trials should be conducted and reported to ensure robust analysis. Uh, and it uh, was mentioned in a webinar just last week that uh, Ostroza has a new project, FCA 6347, consistent evaluation reporting of automated vehicle trials. And, and that will consider this question with at least respect to, um, to automated vehicle trials. Uh, during the development of the repository, this was noted as a point of interest. Uh, and Ostroza did assist NTC, National Transport Commission's review of AV trial arrangements. Uh, and there is an updated guidelines for trials of automated vehicles in Australia that were published last year. Uh, and I believe the link has just been posted into the, the chat box for people. Um, so they were the questions about the repository that came through. Um, we do have a number of questions about the actual trials. And because James presented first, some of the ones for, for his projects came through first. Uh, so the first sort of question I've got uh, for you, James, is around different scenarios, whether they were or weren't included in the rural um, cab pilot, the Bosch trial. Uh, and two ones across different questions are rain, rain at night, sorry, work zones and dirt roads. So more than two there. So rain, rain at night, work zones and dirt roads, were they part of the ODD tested for this rural cab pilot? Yeah, thanks for the question. Um, the aspects around dirt road, it was definitely out of scope. We were focusing purely on motorways uh, in the country rural road. In terms of rain, I, I'm pretty sure we may have been exposed to that. And I think from the earlier trial that I talked about, which is the only way we, we do have lessons learned around rain um, and wind, there is very little degradation that we have seen um, that they can make to LIDAR functionality. But obviously, um, there are other sensors in the vehicle as well, such as cameras, which I'm sure that there'll be probably some level of degradation that we would expect. So it depends on the, I guess, the uh, component. Each of them have their own pros and cons. And that's the reason why we um, you know, were looking at having the full um, sensor set to be able to build additional redundancy systems um, to overcome those sort of challenges in the environmental sort of factors coming in. I hope that answers it. Thank you, James. And uh, I'll um, now jump onto a question for Nick. Uh, and this is about security credential management systems as part of security infrastructure to enable uh, safe operation of CITS or secure and trusted operation of CITS. Uh, so, the Queensland pilot was one of the first projects to really go down the path of establishing SCMS. Uh, and the question is, Nick, what are your thoughts about should this be something that state road authorities are doing for jurisdictions, or does this need to be one national or, or sort of regional, including New Zealand SCMS? Uh, well, I think that out of our pilot, there's going to be a lessons learned report of the SCMS and also a future direction recommendation report. So. I'm not the person writing either of those, so I don't want to prelude what they're going to say, but my, my view is that, it, personal view, not the department's view, is that a national approach. You don't want a train gauge situation where you cross the border and you need to subscribe to a new SEMS. Um, some sort of format where we can be work together, I think is the way forward. Yeah, so yes, to summarize, I think a national approach sounds like a good way forward. Thank you. Got a question here for um, back to James around um, one of the observations was from the BOSS trial was that there's no standardised um, image set for um, rural rural roads and particularly road signs for training uh, machine learning systems to um, to recognise Australian road signs. Uh, and so there's a specific question here: is mapillary um, a source of road imagery? Um, but I think I'll make that a more general question as to uh, how do you get to this library of um, of images and is this something you see individual automated driving system entities taking on themselves or is there a role for government or others to try and uh, solve the problem once or at least partly solve the problem once and, and provide something of a library of, of standard images for people to learn from? Yeah, I think um, 
you know, just speaking from my personal view, there is definitely um, a role for both government and the industry uh, to facilitate that, to, to ensuring that that information is available. You know, the, the feedback that we have heard um, through developing these trials with different organizations is that, um, you know, a lot of the development work, as we know, are conducted um, overseas. Um, you know, Bosch is, uh, you know, we're, we're lucky to have Bosch to still be able to help with some of this development here nationally. Um, but a lot of uh, majority of the development is conducted overseas. And it's important that, you know, we have this image library available so that they can feed that back into their uh, development process because, uh, yeah, not having it available, that could potentially mean that we may not have these uh, technology um, available for our market um, as, as quickly as they would be available in other markets. So I think it's a role for both. It's developing that. I think it's probably a, a, another question as to how we would do that. And not to jump on your question, James, but um, we've been as another part of the one of the Bruce Highway projects creating the data sets. Um, we're actually using machine learning over our what Queensland Drive every year, I think Arb do it for us, um, the DVR. So we're using the yearly DVR and using machine learning to identify signs out of that. So we've trained the model a few times, so it looks like it's getting better. So maybe some of that's something we could share with you. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for that. But that's that's focused on roads, not, I think your comments were more about the whole road network and the whole view of the road, not just the signs, but it's a start. Thanks, Nick. And uh, the next question I'll actually put to both of you as well, um, James first and then Nick. And uh, it's a question on, um, so as mentioned, you know, there were visual alerts in some of these trials. Um, the question is whether there are also audio alerts as well as visual. Um, but I'll probably extend that question a little bit to say, yep, with these screens, I mean, this is an aftermarket tablet dropped into the Lexus um, I suppose, what sort of alerts are being generated currently in terms of visual and audio and how different do you expect that to be to production vehicle implementations? Um, so when these things actually become into production, um, are these tablets sort of indicative of the final design or do we expect, I suppose, a, um, a more advanced human machine interface when these alerts move from you know, aftermarket or dropped in tablets to, to something permanent? Yes. Yeah, I definitely... You want to go first, Nick? No, you got to go for it. Yeah, I definitely see um, the solution to be a lot better integrated um, to a vehicle that's available commercially. I mean, these are essentially prototypes that were uh, installed to the vehicle for the purpose of the trial. A lot of the HMIs are there just purely to prove the, you know, the functionality of the system. Um, but in future, you know, just like a lot of our future vehicles, uh, there are new symbols that we would have to come up with. Um, and again, that's another sort of standards area that needs to be all consistent um, to providing these alerts going forward. And yeah, I see, I see these trials essentially just testing, um, you know, the functionality. And, you know, in terms of the question around audio and visual, yes, we do have both. And in these vehicles, we also have another one, which is essentially a haptic sensor in the seat. So the driver essentially will feel a vibration in the seat as well as hearing the visual warning as well as, uh, sorry, seeing the visual warning as well as hearing the uh, visual alert. Yeah, so uh, my comments all pretty much ditto that is that um, when it gets integrated into the vehicle, it would probably be a point of competitive advantage depending on how the, each of the companies see the way to display these and um, whether if the next step isn't to have any sort of, I guess, self-reactive function to it. Um, yeah, ours were definitely aftermarket kits that were specifically made to be simple. So um, they were accompanied with audio and visual, so just a boop or a beep, 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 and they were trained before they took off from the um, the installation place to know what they're looking for. And yeah, our Lexus also had the haptic feedback, which looking at the response from it, I think we had 90 or so people go through them. A 50-50 split between seemed to those who liked it and just thought it was over the top. So 
think, um, yeah, the OEMs and the car manufacturers have a, a long way to go to integrate them to a point where they're immediately recognisable to know what to do with them. Thank you, uh, James and Nick, and, and thank you to all those who sent through questions. And uh, I think we got through about 90% of the questions, not exactly as, as written, sometimes combined, but uh, I'll have to pause here over to Katarina to, um, to close us out. Thank you. Thanks, Andrew, James and Nicholas. Um, just very quickly, uh, a few words about our future webinars. Um, so if you're interested in pavement, um, join us on the 3rd of August uh, for an outline of technical uh, of the technical basis for changes uh, made to part two and five of the Guide to Pavement Technology. On the 10th of August, we will share some information that will assist local government practitioners in the use and procurement um, of road surface and products with recycled waste plastic. Um, and at the end of August, we will have two sessions to present an overview of an updated guide to road safety. So visit our website for more information and to register. Uh, and as usual, when we close out today's session, a questionnaire will pop up on your screen. So please take a couple of minutes uh, to send us your feedback. It really helps us to know what you liked, what you didn't like, uh, and what suggestions you have for future sessions. Once again, uh, today's webinar is being recorded and we will let you know when the link, um, when the recording is available uh, on our website. Thanks again, everybody. Stay well and safe um, and enjoy the rest of your day. We will see you next time. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.